I'm Joyce Hornady. You might say accuracy is my business. I make bullets. You are listening to the Hornady Podcast. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in on this episode of the Hornady Podcast. I am your host, Seth Swerzik, and today I've got a full table to my left, marketing logistics coordinator, Matt Ritchie, and across the table, fellow marketeers, video guys, Preston Lentford and Judd Jarzinka. Guys, thanks for coming around the table. It's our pleasure. Yeah. Welcome. Has yep. anybody ever welcomed you to your podcast? Well, it's not my podcast, <laughs> but no, nobody's welcomed me, I don't think, to the podcast. Hey, thanks for coming on. Yeah. You know what? It's, it is my pleasure. And in regard to the topic of the podcast, it really is an exciting time. And it is my pleasure to talk about this. This is something that we talk about year round and we don't give it uh, much traction in the podcast because the podcast, you know, we kind of pick topics that are topical at that time, right? Well, it's the last week of August and that can mean only one thing is that hunting season is really near. It's days away. Days away in a lot of places. It's and going in some places right some now. some places you got those alpine, you know, those high country archery hunts for mule deers. We've got a couple of South friends. Carolina's rifle season is going right now, I believe. Really? It's a three or four month long season. God dang. Don't, don't we have an early youth season, like doe season in Nebraska? Uh, there is an early rifle season Maybe for antlerless. Is that October. October? Oh, in October. Okay. Early to oh. mid-October? I want to say it's right around my birthday. So, like that second week there. I'm not privy to that, but happy birthday. Yeah, there is. <laughs> yeah, a couple months out. Well, let's let's uh, talk more about that in that, so hunting season is here. We've got buddies dropping deer, getting text messages from people doing those alpine hunts with the bow. You're probably going to be, I guess you're not hunting, but you're going to accompany a, a family member on a hunt. You have a September yep. rifle elk tag. Yep. Your, uncle, your uncle does. Yep. Uncle drew a bull elk tag for Nebraska. So once in a lifetime, oh. yeah. 21st, I believe it's September is day one. How many that. years did it take him to draw that tag? Ooh, all of them. Couple <laughs> <years>. <laughs> it's ever since they opened the, up opened up the point system for the bull elk yep. he's been putting in. That's oh. awesome. Good for him, and I hope he has a great hunt. And uh, I, think, I hope we all have a great fall. But this time frame where we're days away from seasons opening, you know, archery seasons and we're, you know, uh, some uh, – Rifle seasons for like antelope, let's say, muzzleloader seasons for antelope, uh, and we're getting closer and closer uh, to the time that we all love to be in the woods, which is really that late October, November time frame. I mean, it's just magic. Doesn't matter what you're hunting. It's cold out. It's, everything's better when elk are bugling and the deer are running amok with the rut. And everybody has their own flavor, right? We all kind of like our different stuff for as far as how we like to hunt and where we like to hunt and how we like to do it. And the same is true. For where we like to shoot an animal. And I feel like we all probably have slightly similar, but also slightly different backgrounds in what brought us into hunting and how we hunted growing up. And, you know, there's a couple around the table that have way more of an archery background than some of us. And I feel like that probably has some weight in your shot placement selection. And I would just like to, to discuss this a little bit further. And I feel like it's a topic that our listeners can uh, dive into and you know we're not going to tell you guys as listeners what to do but this point of this one is just to talk about what we do and why we maybe do what we do so um uh, you know that that topic has been beaten many many times uh and there's a lot that goes into it you know you can't really say 
dyed in the wool, I only shoot this shot location because um, there's not many people that, one, have that <laughs> discipline to do so, and two, uh, there's a lot of complexity to it. What bullet are you shooting? What cartridge are you shooting? What's the muzzle velocity and what's the impact velocity? And uh, again, very dynamic. So who wants to start with uh, maybe your background? Kick it across the table to one of you guys. Uh, what's your background in hunting and what was your shot placement then? Your preferred shot placement? Maybe some of the uh, dogma that you heard about shot placement. And then what do you guys do now? Yeah, I, I can kick it Mr. off. Mr. Jarzinka. So, yeah, I guess to start it off with, uh, my centerfire rifle hunting, you know, started at, I don't know, 13, 14, whenever you could shoot a deer and maybe a couple of years after that. But anyway. With, with the with Savage. The, with the 243. Yeah. So I, I was shooting, uh, I think the first three deer I I took with that rifle, I was shooting just a hundred grain interlock. Uh, and yeah, thinking back on that now, my shot placement, you know, I was, I was a new hunter. So, you know, ideally I was going right behind the shoulder and, uh, is that cause of an error margin perhaps, or that was just what you were told? told? That's you what you do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. My, my dad wasn't much of a big game hunter. Uh, a lot of upland in his day when pheasants were everywhere around here. But no, I don't know. That's just what you did. I don't know if I picked that up in a, a hunter safety class or, or what. But yeah, with that 100 grain interlock, you know, I don't know if I put much thought into that at the time. But now, you know, okay, yeah, I'll shoot him behind the shoulder with that bullet and it'll do just, just fine. It'll do great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, probably... 16, 17 years old, I did some archery hunting. That's when I picked up archery. So there, even more kind of solidified. I was aiming behind the shoulder with that. And I think, you know, on, on deer size game, you know, that's, that's just what I've done. I've mm-hmm. always shot behind the shoulder and, and let's see, I, I was probably early twenties when I got my seven mag. So I moved up a little bit, shot that seven mag and I shot, uh, 162s? ELDXs. Yep, yep. ELDXs with that for a long time. I did shoot 150 grain GMX out of that uh, 7 mag on uh, on a deer hunt in South Dakota. And that may be one of the only that I can think of that uh, I did take an upper shoulder shot on that mm-hmm. uh, mule deer and, yeah, stoned him. It just mm-hmm. dropped him right down. But otherwise, I'd say, you know, I don't, I don't know where I picked up the behind the shoulder, but that's just kind of what I've always, always tried to do. You mm-hmm. know, most times, luckily I've been fortunate and it's gone that way. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm a behind the shoulder guy. Now, is know? there, is there a thought process about meat damage to that? Or is it mainly, I know that's a straight line into the pump house. Uh, yeah. I mean, just the way my mind works, whether it's right, wrong, indifferent. You know, I just feel like, yeah, the margin of error. If I'm trying to aim in the center of the lungs, heart area, you know, if I'm left or right, up or down, I have a little bit more leeway shooting mm-hmm. there probably. But okay, yeah, I would say, you know, on deer size game, antelope and, and whitetail mule deer that I've taken, you know, that's kind of always been my shot. And, you know, I've seen some nice deer in my day going back, you know, that I've busted and, and kicked out and it's just... I'm not anywhere near skilled enough to take a running shot. So it's got to be, I try to make it as perfect as I can make it in, in that scenario. So as much of a broadside shot mm-hmm. that I can get stationary standing critter, you know, I, I like 
They've shot uh, a big Colorado bull elk before, right? What was that one about? Because that the now you're talking mag, yeah. another echelon, another yeah. size of game. So that one was was kind of unique. You know, I I'm trying to think. You know, if I had any thought or conversation with anybody beforehand about shot placement on that, and I don't really recall it. So I think I I went in and where I hit that elk uh, was yeah right behind the shoulder. But the elk is so big. You know, the first shot the elk was probably you know, dead on its feet, yeah, but it was still hit. standing. So yeah, we, we kept shooting and I think I put two in that. And again, he, he was, uh, he was probably done on the first one, but if, if he oper- presents me the shot still and he's standing, I'm not risking yeah. losing that critter. So yeah, especially on an elk. Yeah. And that was 162 LDXs too. I've got a mushroom that we pulled out of that bowl still sitting on the desk in the office. So that's kind of neat. Uh, the only other time I've taken somewhat of a, a different shot was in illinois i was uh hunting with greg ritz oh, out there yeah. with the muzzleloader with the muzzleloader and that was with the uh that was with the original board driver yep, I think. that wasn't grand. with the eldx and uh, a big old whitetail the the biggest i've been fortunate enough to get walked into like 30 yards and uh was looking kind of at us past us there was deer running all over that morning but Anyway, 30 yards, kind of quartering two, and with that big old bullet at that distance, I I didn't even question it. I let it rip on that deer right Square. in the chest, and yeah. and the they got that shot on camera in slow motion, and the ripples that go through the body of that that deer were unreal. So yeah, that that uh, that was probably one of the only other times I've taken, you know, for me an unusual type shot. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I like. Uh, stationary critter as close to broadside as i can get and shooting behind the shoulder and I, I want to maybe just throw in here too like people talk about energy a lot and this is probably not the podcast for that but you've got a 290 grain bullet at almost muzzle velocity that's a lot yeah. of energy right mm-hmm. and when you put it in the pump house that deer still ran off because yeah. the central nervous system was not disrupted yeah. so it's not an energy thing in my opinion. Well, he ran off, but it was all downhill to a, yeah. <laughs> to a smack and a roll. But yeah. the, the neat thing, too, on my desk as well, we found the expanded yeah. bullet on that, too. And, yeah, it dumped a lot of energy. Well, I, just, I just think that people think that dumping energy or energy into an animal equates to it dropping. And that is not how that works. It's where just it's more shot yeah, placement. Yeah, it's 100%. Yeah. It's got to disrupt the central nervous yeah. system for him to go down immediately. Yeah. Utilize your space your way with the modular Hornady Security Square Lock Organizing System. Mount the Square Lock panels anywhere in your home or shop. Then attach the wide assortment of Square Lock accessories to securely store firearms, tools, gear, or any other valuables in any possible configuration. Keep your reloading bench or gun room organized with the Square Lock Modular Organizing System from Hornady Security. I really like the, the, the way you laid that out, Judd, that it really wasn't for, you know, meat preservation. It's, it was probably something where you heard an old timer say it or the hunter safety. I know when I took hunter safety, that was what they instructed was you shoot behind the shoulder. And then obviously in the archery world, that's the, that's the honey hole right there. And it's just what you've done. It's what you know, and it's worked. And it, and Quite simply, it, it does work. You put, yeah. you put a bullet in the right spot behind the shoulder, it's going to work for sure. Well. Yeah, this probably isn't a reason, but 
Man, isn't a blood trail fun though? It is fun. I mean, I don't want to say I that. Do. I mean, yeah. yeah, if I can see the animal go down, ideally, that's what I would prefer. Yeah, but, but even if I know where the animal is, I'm still following yeah, the blood trail. The blood trails are just fun. They can be. Yeah. Oh yeah, they can. <laughs> they cannot be sometimes too. Yeah. yeah. Yep. All right, Preston, over to you now. Oh, we're, my turn. Yeah, we're sticking on that side of the table. I would say, I I started hunting as soon as I could um, with a rifle, two seventy. Uh, shooting 130 grain interlocks. Um, but th- I guess the reason I did that, uh, at a younger age, Realtree Monster Bucks Volume 8 showed up as a Christmas present for one of our family members, and I can't tell you how many oh. times I played that and rewound it. And 1998. It and yeah. rewound it. Like, it was burned into my brain. That was the first time I saw T-Bone. Oh, uh, my. <laughs> but, uh... So yeah, watching that, there wasn't a whole lot of deer just dropping. There was a a lot of behind the shoulder shots. Uh, I read a book called White Tail Deer growing up, and I don't know if shot placement was talked about a whole lot there, but biggest margin of error, biggest point of of, of the vitals on a broadside shot is behind the shoulder. And then as I grew up a few years, I got into archery pretty heavy, and that's that's all I did for a while, and behind the shoulder shot there. You know, and I was shoot. I wouldn't say that every shot I ever took was perfectly broadside. There was a couple of instances where they were actually quartering to me, and I shot right through the shoulder. And I and that's another topic for debate on a different podcast other than ours. But that was a fixed blade broadhead quartering to, and and I took the shot, and it it's worked out thus far. Uh, you've been preaching high shoulder shots. Not let's not say preaching. Preaching might be the wrong word. Yeah, I think but so. An advocate. Uh, that's what that that's what you like to do. Um, and I think I've taken one of those shots ever at a mule deer at two hundred yards with a muzzleloader, and it just dropped immediately. It was fantastic. He was about to crest a hill, um, not skyline or anything, folks. Come on now. Uh, but he was about to go over a hill, and I didn't know what was on the other side of that hill. So I would have rather had a downhill drag. Other than than back up, whatever have you, and you'd been preaching that or advocating for it, saying that's what you like to do. So I gave it a try, and it worked phenomenally. But been behind the shoulder for as long. We went on the antelope hunt. Yeah, that's yeah. And you said put it on the shoulder, and didn't it didn't work in my brain. My brain just said it goes behind the shoulder, and a heart shot, and like I I couldn't help it. Yep. So behind the shoulder for me, not opposed. Right. You know, to a high shoulder shot, especially with the right critter and the right bullet. Mm-hmm. You know, if I've got a CX in my arsenal, or even an ELDX on the right size game, and a deer or an elk or whatever needs to drop, I'll I'd like to try to do it. But for some reason, my brain doesn't really work that way. Yep, and that was interesting, specifically on that antelope hunt, because we'd had uh, I don't know, maybe twelve hours on the road to get to where we were hunting. Uh, we drove across the width of Wyoming. Wyoming. We went from eastern Idaho to the furthest east township of Wyoming mm-hmm. uh, in one day. Good long hole. Uh, got there. And, and on that trip, as we're driving, we talked about shot placement. And when you're hunting the areas that we were hunting on that particular hunt, like these antelope, they can run forever and ever and ever. And there's not a lot of places that we want them to run off mm-hmm. of the public land that we were hunting and so we got set up on this shot beautiful area kind of a wing and a prayer type of uh scenario but yeah 
got in there, used the terrain feature, set up on the shot, 300 yards with the 6.5 PRC. I mean, just a chip shot. And I think I said to him, while I'm looking to the glass, like Preston put it on his shoulder. And uh, he shot, and the antelope takes off at the, you know, the speed of sound, just right behind a little obviously didn't make it very far because it was just an absolutely perfect heart shot yeah and and that's one of those things too like i would have liked to have dropped him because where he stood i knew he was on public ground Mm -hmm. but we were not that far from the boundary oh i mean if you rewind that scenario back just a little bit right before i was looking through the spotter and said preston put it on his shoulder we were both on onyx going okay i could see that tree and that tree is 397 yards so okay we're good yeah so it was very close and I don't know, and and I'm sure you'll have a story here coming up that folks may have heard on this podcast about public versus private and dropping a uh, an animal, but I I think I'm done. I, I said what I I said my piece. Yeah. Well, we'll circle back to this to see where that line in the sand becomes a very much a gray line. But Matt, let's hear from you. So my my background is more like Judd's. I didn't st- my my dad wasn't much of a hunter growing up. Um, he didn't get us into it got into it after hunter safety and and started you know upland and then into as you like to put it the north american songbirds land that kind of stuff but (laughs) running around the farm with a pellet gun as i as i got into high school and got around some other kids that got that were more into deer hunting things like that that's when i started and my first gun was a that i used was took my old man's 22 250 and i don't even remember what bullet it was i know it was a hornady bullet but yeah, and so I was always a uh, behind-the-shoulder shot because that's that's what you learn and that's what it was taught to me. And yeah, I've killed a few deer there and always had you know again uh, echo what these guys say. It's a the, the largest margin of error, but the the more I've gotten into it and the more deer I've killed, I'm I'm whatever shot presents itself. If it's a if it's a high shoulder shot and I don't want that deer to leave the, the where it's standing, then I'm going to take it. Um, if it's a quartering two, I this last winter I shot a doe quartering two. It's just the one that presented itself. It was cold and I was cold and daylight was <laughs> running out and I was not going to not fill that tag. So, but it come to me, it comes down to understanding your equipment and even even the the anatomy of the animal, how that animal works and where his joints are at and where his, vitals are at and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff so and then now i just i'm the and I, I teach that i pass that on to my kids so i you know i coach them up really well they're really good on the gun you know being you know good trigger pull breathing all that stuff but it just you know and, and they they understand what an animal looks like internally and why we put our shots where we put it like look at the heart here look at the, see this big hole or this mm-hmm. lung is evaporated guys see that's why we <laughs> little anatomy <laughs> you lesson. know yeah you know and, and not to to be grotesque or anything but that's how they learn you know Absolutely. And so yeah. that's what i want to pass on i want them to be want to be efficient and ethical and so i'm whatever presents itself You're if, indiscriminate yeah indiscriminate shot placement but it's i make it count too so yeah. absolutely well, you got me thinking of something as you were talking like knowing your gear knowing your equipment you know, that's probably something that I can, you know, ride on now of when I started coming from, you know, not knowing, I can't even tell you how many years I hunted before I bought a set of shooting sticks. You yeah. know, it's like, well, I got a knee and a elbow, you know, I'm good enough yeah. to go. So, you know, just working through those things. Did you watch any outdoor television? Oh, you know, well, to- yeah. I mean, we, I, I, my 
parents got me a subscription to Field and Stream and yeah. Outdoor Life, and then like the the Monster Bucks. I've still got those DVDs, yeah. I and still I watch them every once in a while. So yeah, but yeah, you know, we did, we definitely did. So. I probably got to credit that too. You know, I'm trying to think of of what shows I watched or you know what it was. I can't really recall honestly mark kaiser had a show uh when i was younger and again i i hunt, started hunting a little later you know i was mm-hmm. in my mid-teens uh but yeah i watched a lot of mark kaiser you know and he's really good at kind of describing scenarios and walking through his hunts and what he does so i would say he's one that i've probably watched uh when i was trying to get into the hunting game but i'd probably credit a lot to outdoor television too. yeah mm. Well, yeah, social media wasn't a thing back yeah, when yeah, I was growing yeah. up. We, did, so. we definitely didn't have the outdoor channel, so mine was all DVDs. But you yeah. can guarantee every time I was at Walmart, I was in the outdoor section yeah. seeing mm-hmm. if the new Monster Bucks was in there. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, Judd, you mentioned that you started hunting later you know, so than some of these guys, and you were in your mid-teens. You know, yeah. when you zoom out, right, like there's yeah. probably a lot of hunters that don't start hunting until their 20s or 30s or you know, older than that. I've got a good friend of mine uh, that – uh, lives in Elkhorn, Nebraska, so a, a big urban area, and didn't grow up with hunting. And he's in his 40s, and he's hooked, line, and sinker now, and he's all about it. Yeah. But it took, you know, uh, a bunch of friends that grew up passionate about it, and just kind of rubbed off on him enough that he got into it too. So you say it like you were kind of late well, to the game, man. In the gr- grand scheme yeah. of things, you started at ground zero like everybody else. Well, yeah, definitely. You know, being here at Hornady, you're so immersed in it, yeah. like. Joe Tinglin, the engineer, doesn't he take his daughters to Missouri mm-hmm. because the hunting age is even there younger? Is, I'm not sure over there, there is a hunting age. Yeah, and the tags six are or seven incredibly or eight. affordable. So yeah, it's I'm not exactly sure how old his youngest daughter is, but it's like yeah, he's he taking them there early. to go early, early, early. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's true. I guess uh, yeah, probably still got an early start. That's true. Well, I started just. I mean, this is carbon copy. I think of all four of us here. Did the hunter safety. Hello, hello, an echo chamber? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) And my dad was a hunter growing up, primarily an archer. Um, He did rifle hunt uh, a lot before I was born. I was the youngest of three. Uh, And mainly that was feeding family, right? That was what we were doing. We ate deer meat almost exclusively for a good portion of my uh, younger life. And then uh, he kind of hung the rifles up and went almost strictly to archery. uh, And that was I'm guessing a little bit more cathartic, slower paced, a little more enjoyable. And so I grew up shooting a bow, you know, with dad in the backyard uh, at six, seven years old and shooting the BB gun and, you know, take hunter safety. And so him being primarily an archer by the time I was old enough to hunt, you put your 257 Roberts crosshairs right, right behind the shoulder and let him have it. And so I didn't question that. That's what we learned in hunter safety. It's what uh, dad's been preaching to me. And so that's what I did. And just like you guys have been saying, a good bullet right behind the shoulder just works, works every time. Uh, I never did drop any deer in their tracks doing that, but uh, that definitely was my go-to shot placement. And I got into archery a little bit, uh, yeah, shot a deer here in 2012 was the last year I shot with the bow. So I'm pretty far removed from the archery game, but uh, yeah, was behind the shoulder up until that point. Once I started work at Hornady, I was still very much a behind-the-shoulder shooter. That was the primary goal, just like you said, Judd. I'm looking for a broadside shot right behind the shoulder at a traditional distance. And as my marksmanship and riflemanship skills evolved, and the, the, the line 
of demarcation for me was when I stopped hunting private property as a as the primary hunting source. When I started hunting other areas, just just exploring. And I know you guys do a bunch of this too. When you're just you know you young and restless, and I want to go hunt out there. Let's see what that place has to offer. And so you go do that. And for me, that was when it really changed because I that you know Onyx I didn't have that at the time early on. And even when I did get it, which would have been like the probably the second hunt I ever went on on public land, you pull up the landowner information. And it's like, oh, that landowner lives in Dallas, Texas. Cool. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I hope he doesn't get over there kind of deal. And so at that point, there had been, now we're 2012, 13 timeframe, 14 timeframe. Now there's more social media and there's, there's other, you know, television shows out there that were advocating the high shoulder shot. I'd never shot anything in the high shoulder in my life. And once I started doing that, I quickly became a believer specifically in the areas where you can't afford for them to make it a single step, jump the fence, 20 yards, 30 yards, whatever it is, I need them anchored on the spot. And that's where I went to that shot placement. And now, regardless of where I'm hunting, if I'm hunting back home on, you know, private property or somebody's farm, I still find myself going high shoulder, put them down in their tracks. And that might be a hard switch to flip for me to go backward uh, unless i pick up the stick and string again what was the first one was that the the mule deer on public land yep 400 and change 17 yep but 417 and that was a good example of i can see the private property boundary and i can see the animal that i want to kill i know where he's at i to say i was confident in the setup prone the best gear i could afford at the time which was really good equipment uh, everything dialed in, not a, not a single doubt in my mind that I can make the shot and put it through the high shoulder. And he went down where he stood. And that was, that was like, okay, yep. Got to, I'm going to be doing this from now on. Yeah. And then fast forward, I mentioned my dad being an archer primarily. And he, so he was behind the shoulder decades worth of shooting that way. And then, uh, I kind of got him back into rifle hunting, started building him some custom rifles and taking him out western, uh, out west to do some hunts in mainly western Nebraska, but some other states. And uh, last year we got a chance at an amazing mule deer, public land. Everything came together kind of last second. It was a big flurry of, oh crap, can you get a shot? No, can't see him. Where are they at? They're moving. And then we finally get a shot. And all the deer that were in this group are jumping the fence onto private property. And then he was the last one to come through and 40 or 50 yards away from the fence, stopped for a moment and dad zipped one through both shoulders and bounced his chin off the ground faster than his feet. Dude. Do you think if you didn't remind him, he would have done it anyway? Uh, I hope, I don't know, honestly, because yeah, in that situation to paint it out a little deeper for you, dad's prone on the gun at, uh, gosh, I should remember the range, but I don't. It's 450 or something I like want to say 451 comes to mind. Proned out, deer broadside standing and i reminded him right before he shot dad put it on the shoulder dad put it on the shoulder and i just said it over and over until he fired and uh yeah put through both shoulder blades and while the whole herd of deer are on that private field that deer's anchored on public ground where and it was just a success so for me i feel like that's uh really important because i don't want to have to deal with the subsequent find the landowner Maybe get a hold of Gay Morden if we need to. Yeah. Just don't have to deal with that. Um, Sometimes it doesn't turn out. 
I've heard Ex- horror stories. Exactly. I, I don't know. I'm convinced now, though, because I'm thinking, like, I, I, some of the stuff I hunt's right on the river, and that river's not always froze in November. No. Like, I don't want that deer getting down on that river. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm anchoring him. So, yeah. Find the latest shirts, hats, hoodies, and accessories that you see here on the podcast and much more at HornadyGear.com. I think what Matt said, and before we started this podcast, Judd uh, alluded to it as well. I think, one, knowing your equipment, knowing your bullet and your cartridge and velocity, which we can kind of go into some deeper details here, that's really important because then you become a target of opportunity. Is it quartering towards me? Is he quartering away? High shoulder, behind the shoulder? Doesn't matter. You're well-equipped and educated enough to make those shot selections. Yeah, that's a big deal. On that antelope, I, you know, I haven't taken really far shots. You know, I, I feel like I'm fairly proficient. I've shot a few competitions. I'm not very good at it, but, you know, proficient enough that, you know, like the PRS skill stage, for an example, if, if, if you guys don't know what that is, it's a... F- typically a 400 yard uh 10 inch circle that you have to shoot off of four positions and routinely i'll clean that in a relatively quick time not burning it down like everybody else but mm-hmm. that's you know 10 inches might be a little big for a deer's vitals but yeah when you're smacking the center of it in a relatively quick time i think you've got things figured out a little bit i don't know how to say that yeah know, properly, i get what you're saying but you're, you become a proficient marksman you become proficient marksman. You practice with your with your equipment that you're taking to the field. Um, it, it matters, like because if there is a quartering shot, and maybe you have a little thinner bullet or whatever have you, and you want to fish it in between that front shoulder, you know that instead of going through the shoulder, you can do that. Mm-hmm. I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, having an accurate rifle. Yep, you as an accurate shooter. Yep. yep, that's yeah, very true. So. From a bullet standpoint, what are you guys shooting for bullets, and how does that dictate your shot placement? Primarily um, shooting, because we shoot a little bit of everything. Well, on that antelope, uh, that was right after a rider's event, and we were showing off the 130-grain CX bullet in the Outfitter line in the 6.5 PRC. So I was using that, and I would have shot at any angle, yeah. quite frankly. That CX um, bullet is just going to penetrate, no yeah, question. Yeah, routinely 32, 36 inches of penetration in ballistics, FBI, real gelatin, none of that clear stuff. Mm-hmm. The stuff that stinks a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, it, it works at, you know, I, I, I'd be confident in saying I would shoot an elk through the shoulder with that bullet. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I really, and, and, of, and of any flavor of CX as well. Those really? are just so robust bullets. It's and they're just incredible. beautiful when, when they mushroom oh, when you, perfectly. It's like if, if you if dream you about a one, bullet yeah. mushrooming, that's what a CX does. If that's, it's a, just a so perfect. uniform and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's beautiful. But other than that, I've been shooting the LDX for years. Yeah. It's just an accurate bullet you could go shoot a match with it we've shot matches with it i've shot matches with it and when i hit a deer in the vitals it's 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 it's, it's not let me yeah. down yeah. judd what are you shooting primarily i would say this may get us on another tangent but you know i've shot well gmx's at the time now cx's i've shot interlocks i've shot uh eldx's you know i've shot a lot and i'm still you know my my ideal shot is behind the shoulder mm-hmm. now 
when you talk about different critters. Yeah, let's change now, that up. Now my shot placement maybe changes a little bit when you get into something like predators or pigs. Yeah, you know, furry dogs behind the shoulder. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right underneath the head. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I would say, yeah, definitely when you, when you switch to, I mean, coyotes, for some reason, I kind of tend to go more neck area almost on a yeah. coyote. Yeah. Uh, a coyote, you heart shoot a coyote and it'll run. It'll yeah. run for a long time too. Yeah. So but. here, this might be uh, controversial. So with a big game animal, like Judd talked about waiting, being patient to really get that shot angle the way you want. If I get a, a shot, at a coyote, yeah. I'm going to do everything I can do to put one in the vitals, but I'm putting a bullet in the air. At, whether yeah. it's like climbing a hill and I can only see its back or something, I'm getting a bullet out there. Yeah. Is, how do you guys feel about that? I'm I'm fine with it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, me too. The amount of, yeah. of coyotes <laughs> that I have on my trail camera is just absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Yep. Yeah. I literally routinely I'll see deer running across the camera, and then a coyote's following them. It's it's not ideal. Yeah. Used to have yeah. turkeys on the place that I hunt a little bit and not anymore. Yeah. You know, I don't now that you said that, that is kind of a comparison that I'll make. You know, I might be crazy for doing it, but my experiences in the coyotes I've shot and the turkeys I've shot with a bow are pretty dang similar. Those yeah. things are hard mm-hmm. to to stop. Mm-hmm. With know? a so, with an arrow. And the, well I'm just saying it, Yeah, in, in general, maybe that's just vital vitals or Being small. Smaller. But yeah, a coyote, man, I've, coyotes can, can take a beating and go a long ways, like Matt said. And the turkeys I've shot with a bow can do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. You have to go give I, them a beating. Yeah. I may say something controversial. A turkey deserves to be shot with a shotgun shell upside the head. Oh, yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you there. Fair enough. Hey, before we get off on too much of a tangent, folks in the comments, drop down, write us, what do you, where do you like to shoot an animal? Uh, yeah. What kind of animals are you shooting? Do you have any limitations, and what are you shooting them with? Yeah, and we want to know. And and what's your reasoning? You know, I was I was think, anticipating that somebody would here would say meat damage. You know, what, like mm-hmm. for me, I like to shoot in the high shoulder. Meat damage is really not a concern, and and I'm not trying to be wasteful, but I in a lot of cases I can't afford for that animal to go anywhere, and I'll you know well, feed some bloodshot meat to my my dog before I let that animal jump the fence. What's more wasteful? A little piece of meat this big, bullet size hole on both shoulders, Mm -hmm. or that deer going across the fence and you never getting it. Yeah. Because that could happen. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if that landowner is in living who knows where. Yep. And that's pretty common, you know, especially out here in western Nebraska, these big chunks of land, landowner is in Texas or something. Mm -hmm. uh, so you said, Jed, that you, you tend to favor more shoulder neck area on a coyote. What about a pig? Pig, I'm actually the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm shooting for the neck area as well, trying to anchor it as quick as I can. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think. Uh, we shot CXs on the last pig trip I went to 6.5 Creedmoor. Preston hand-loaded those bullets up for me. One shot same, real great. I think Same bullets that my wife shot an elk with. Yeah, two pigs, I think, uh, went down on that trip with that load. Uh, first trip, though, I shot 143 LDX, the same rifle. And uh, now that I'm thinking back on it, the two CX shots were neck shots. I don't know if it's just the way it played out on my first trip down there, but that shot was behind the shoulder. And the crazy thing, I've, I've heard this, you know, bullet selection here nor there. 
pigs are just, it's hard to get a good blood trail on a pig. They're mm-hmm. tough, yeah. A and, lot of thick skin. And that shot was double lung through and through, hole on both sides, and it was tough trailing that sucker. Mm-hmm. I mean, luckily, he only made it maybe 40, 50 yards, but yeah, there was not much blood. I, just I don't a lot know what of fat. It, and, yeah. I don't know what it's called on a pig, but under their skin, they've got like a layer of sinew on yeah. the on their rib cages and stuff that... I don't know. Did that lead to it? Did that make it so he didn't have a blood trail? Probably. Like, yeah. yeah. Hard hard to say, but. Yeah. I think for me, I'm not a hard and fast. I always have to shoot him in the high shoulder. That's my preferred shot. But uh, if I haven't, present, haven't been presented this in a while, barring this last trip to Africa, which I shot half the things on the shoulder and half the things not on the shoulder, but their vitals on African Plains game is just in a little bit different area. Uh, than a North American big game animal. Um, but where I was going with that was I like to shoot ELDX bullets, just like Preston said. They're accurate. And that, to me, says a lot. I I will, like, I think Jaden's mentioned it, that he won't trade accuracy. He won't trade that raw dispersion just for velocity. And I'm the same way. I want match accuracy, if I can get it, so that I'm properly prepared to take a shot at any practical range. And... Here with the seven millimeter PRC or the six five PRC, high velocity at the muzzle, right? Those are high performance cartridges. So if I was going to shoot something, say, two hundred and fifty yards and in, I would consciously have to tell myself keep that off the shoulder, put that behind the shoulder blade, simply because that velocity hasn't had a chance to decay. You know that muzzle velocity is so quick; those bullets are so efficient. They're going to be impacting with all that velocity. And as we've discussed on the terminal performance episode of this podcast, velocity makes bullets work. And I wouldn't want to sacrifice some penetration on a lead court bullet simply by impacting with high muzzle velocity squarely on the shoulder blade. As the velocity decays 300 yards and beyond, that's when I'll go to that high shoulder. Uh, but again, I haven't been presented with that any time here in the recent past that I can think of. But Yeah, it's just uh, food for thought. If you look at a sectioned uh, ELDX bullet, very very aggressive taper mm-hmm. to from from the base being very thick on the jacket yep and and you'll have just heard about this in the eldx podcast to a high interlock mm-hmm. to a very 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 thin o drive and that's what makes it able to work at those long 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 distances is that thin o drive jacket. jacket tapering down to thick that's what's making it fine to use at darn near point blank range mm-hmm. it's kind of you have a do-all bullet and with the CX offering, I've uh, I've shot a few of those. I'm not, I don't I don't shoot those as my primary go-to bullet. But in the animals I've taken with the CX, I go to that shoulder every time simply because that bullet thrives on velocity. And the more medium I can hit, that's going to push that bullet open and drive that expansion, the better. So I want high velocity and I want shoulder blade with the CX if I can get it. In my experience, it's been two animals that I've seen taken with the CX that cow elk that my wife shot and that antelope that i shot on the elk i thought for sure you know an elk's wide and this was this was a cow so it it was huge i've never seen an elk up close like that before it it was it was really really neat just a huge critter i thought for sure we'd get that bullet trucked right through right on through six five of the heart top of the heart just off the mission accomplished good job preston's wife well yeah and yeah great shot on her part we'd gone out to the range and made sure that she was proficient as well and then yeah um i was i was impressed by the cx it's not not my primary either would not hesitate if you know it was a requirement for a hunt for whatever reason mm-hmm. 
Excellent. How about coyotes for you, Matt? Yeah, Matt, Mister mm, Coyote over yeah. here. You know what? I'm a a match bullet or a Vmax bullet, but probably leaning more towards the Vmax. I got a little hot rod six mil six Remington Ackley that I shoot eighty seven grain Vmax bullets out of at the speed of sound. But where do you <laughs> like to shoot them? Anywhere. Um, yeah, whatever. I'm a, I'm a. It's a it's I'm very opportunistic. Whatever well, one is is the available. Judd and, and Matt coming from a more of a cattle centric type yeah. of, of background and work history and coyotes are a coyotes are a thing. You yeah, gotta you, you gotta, gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get have a, a bullet range in gun. You gotta have a or a pickup gun. You gotta have that, you know. Yeah. So when you're out, you know, checking water or looking for thistles or, you know, putting out salt, if there's a coyote, he's getting yeah. a, he's getting some lead slung at him. So yeah. but yeah, really I mean Obviously, you know, if it's a, if it's a broadside shot, I'm putting it on the shoulder and just, you know, breaking them. them. But, um, if that sucker's getting away, he's getting a bullet <laughs> somewhere, <laughs> somewhere. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I suppose an so, 87 green V max at a million feet per second tends to do some damage no matter where you hit them. Yep. Yeah. I would venture to say you put Matt and that rifle anywhere up to and including one mile of the coyote. <laughs> it's in trouble. <laughs> now, one mile is an exaggeration, folks. Yeah. That's a movie quote. Yeah. Uh, but I'm other than that though I'm a I'm an ELDX guy. Um, the 143s, 103s, they've always done well for me. So excellent. Yeah, that that ELDX for not that this is just an ELDX podcast, but gosh, it's so forgiving. Uh, you can you can make uh, your do your best effort to put it in the right place, and things happen. And that bullet is very for bullet. Excuse me, is very forgiving. Um, you know, if you're slightly far back, you know you're going to get the penetration. Or if you plant one on the shoulder blade. You know, it's got that really thick jacket that Preston mentioned. It really holds together well. Plenty for, obviously, you know, you shot an elk with it, Judd. Uh, it's a good bullet out of the old 7 mag. Just a really good bullet. And shot placement, although important, uh, and, and is the in the hierarchy of things, that's thing number one is shot placement. Um, that ELDX bullet allows you quite a quite a bit of, of, of error budget, if you will. Yeah, and we've looked at a lot of high-speed uh, gel shots with ELDX bullets, and they are just impressive. The amount of, of temporary wound cavity is huge. Permanent wound cavity is great, and a lot of times that ELDX is squeaking through the back of the block just a little bit. Yeah, yeah they're probably right behind my 53-grain VMAX. Well, that's, oh, your, that's <laughs> your bullet. That's yeah. your bullet. Well, that or a 95. Yeah, yeah. that's true. I am, yeah, I hate to say it. I I like the 95. I don't know if I've ever killed anything with that. <laughs> but well, the 53s but and you the made sure that we loaded that. Yeah. That was great. Power and performance in the palm of your hand. Hornady Handgun Hunter Ammunition. Built around the tough copper alloy monoflex handgun bullet that features a proprietary elastomer tip, deep penetration, and high weight retention. Handgun Hunter Ammunition. As rough and rugged as the conditions and game demand. Well, yeah. and like I was mentioning about coyotes, and not to make this about ELDXs and coyotes, but you're talking about how prevalent the numbers are getting and how the turkeys are going down. And in our lifetime, Growing up and up into including just a couple of years ago, turkeys were a borderline nuisance in large parts of the state of Nebraska. Certainly where I grew up, they were just everywhere. And uh, I manage a, a lease that used to roost three or three to four hundred turkeys per winter on less than 900 acres. I mean, there was a pile of them. And then with the way that the fur trade is gone, 
raccoons and coyotes really aren't worth any money and the incentive to trap and, and hunt them has gone down to, you know, unless you're just doing it for fun, uh, there's really not a whole lot of incentive to do it. And, uh, you know, not to, you know, we, we talked about the cattle thing, but just on your big game and, and your wild game, pheasants and turkeys and yeah, bonds deer and, bonds. Yeah. Uh, if you're a, if you're a big game hunter, you should be actively shooting predators like coyotes and other varmint like like uh raccoons when you can yeah and not to make this about coyotes but the more coyotes you shoot the healthier the rest of them are that's true yeah you'll never that's like a cockroach you can never extinguish them you can never kill too many of them you can you'll never do it and like you said they they tend to get healthier and they have uh yeah less territory and and less disease less disease more food well yeah they're fun to hunt too. And I can't remember going back when we had uh, Jeff Nimnick on. I can't remember if he said it on our podcast or I heard him say it on a, on a different podcast, but his thing was, he was kind of making a, a move to, you know, all hunters should be a coyote hunter, should be a predator hunter, or should at least try it. Because in, in his opinion, and I somewhat agree with him, you know, a, a really good coyote hunter that that's efficient at killing coyotes is an exceptional deer hunter because coyotes are so stinking smart. Yep. Play the wind. You know, they do everything that a deer Eyesight, does. Eyesight. Yeah. Yep. So he, that, that was his thing. And I haven't really thought about that, but I think there's some weight to that. You know, a, a good predator hunter is most likely a really yeah. good, you know, deer hunter. Yeah. I th- that's a good point because not only do they use the wind and their eyesight, they also have the intangible of some sort of instinctual there's no way he saw me. There's no way he smelled me. There's no way he saw my truck. There's no way nothing. And at 600 yards, he was coming right in, then stopped and went parallel to me and looked right at me and trotted off into the trees. I don't know how they do it. Yeah, who knows? That's when you get <laughs> that 87 do. at Mach 7. Yeah. Well, going on a thermal kick here too, just from my experience, and maybe people have had a different experience, but I've done the thermal thing just a couple of years now. And from what I've found, you know, you can see deer in a field and walk, you know, within a hundred yards, 50, you know, whatever yards of them. And they hardly even look at you. I've seen some coyotes, you know, at a couple hundred yards away. And I don't know if they just pay more attention or more wary, but yeah, they do not put up with you. If they see you, even, you know, in the dark, if there's a little bit of moonlight gone. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know that they're just, yeah, what it is, but tough to hunt <laughs> that's a good point so yeah you know this was a podcast about shot placement and getting us excited about hunting season because it's coming up here but if uh, if you're listening and you're not out there trying to shoot some predators or some fur harvest varmint stuff like that let me know yeah Jed, well, Jed, Jed, come there. on out <laughs> uh, but realistically you should be doing that it's better for the deer it's better for the turkeys it's better for everything uh to get that population uh properly managed and it's fun and it makes you a better hunter there's nothing wrong with that and with that, guys, do you have anything else you want to add to shot placement before this devolves? I think it already did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In a good way. Yeah. 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 No, it, it's just that time of year, man. It's, it's getting close. Uh, our customers are starting to ask more questions related to bullet selection and cartridge selection and hunts are coming up and gear questions. And man, uh, yeah, guys, in the comments, let us know your shot placement like Preston mentioned. We'd be curious to hear where you like to shoot them and why. That's the big one for me is I'd like to know a little bit of uh, backstory. And does it, does it vary on size of animal? Sure. Give us your great comments. We love your feedback. like to see it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested in that because just thinking here tonight on my way home, 
I mean, I think it's something good to think about now after having this conversation, you know, just run some scenarios through in my head as I'm driving home tonight, you know, okay, a, a critter facing this way or a coyote or a deer doing this, doing that. I might just run some scenarios through. So I'm ready when that moment finally happens, fingers crossed, Yeah, I can uh, be successful. Awesome. Yeah. Guys, well, with, uh, with that, I wish you the best of luck on the fall hunts. Hopefully your shot placement is true. And uh, you guys get some notch tags. Preston, I know you got an elk tag coming up here. And uh, looking forward to going on that one with you. And I know, man, between archery and rifle and muzzleloader season, it's going to be a busy fall. And, and I'm looking forward to uh, sharing this time of year with you guys. So thanks for coming on the show and talking shot placement. Hunt season's back. This yeah. is great. <laughs> <laughs> guys, hopefully you enjoyed this episode about shot placement. And this is just our opinion. It's like everything else. It's what we like to do. Uh, and let us know what you like to do, where you like to put that bullet to make it count. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll catch you on the next one.